Are we ready? As we continue on this series about the anointing, are we ready? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are in control. That, Lord, your anointing is within us and is upon us and is operating through us, Father. We thank you for the power of God that is uh, exhibited in your word, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for the power of your word. It is like a hammer that smashes. It is like a fire that burns. It separates, it divides, it judges the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. It separates our soul from our spirit, Lord. And so we pray today that the word of God, like a hammer, would go forth and smash the mindsets in our own minds and in our own hearts, Lord, things that need to come under the, the, the power and be subjected to the, the spirit of God and the authority of the word of God. So Lord, we want to surrender ourselves. I surrender myself yet again, Lord. And I ask, Father, that every part of me surrenders to your truth, that every part of us, Lord God, even as a church, Father, that we would hear what your spirit is saying to us. We thank you for the precious presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the authority of, your word of, of the word of God. And we thank you more than anything, Father, that we are your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are on the fourth week of the anointing series, and I must admit I'm really enjoying this. I've got so much uh, tumbling around on the inside of me that I want to get out. It's, it's always a case of knowing what to do this week and what not to do. And even last week, I only got halfway through my notes, and it still was a long sermon. So today, I'll probably do the same thing. I'll just stop when I feel like we've got far enough, because to be honest, uh, God just wants to move in our hearts and in our lives anyway. So let's ask the question, why do we need the anointing? Let's, let's just learn a little bit, and I'm going to be giving a lot of scriptures, so just write them down as you go. Obviously, you can listen to the podcast later and look them up and study this. Well, we need it in us. We need the anointing in us for salvation. That's for us. That's for you and I. We need that. It's for our eternal redemption. We're going to look at scriptures later on. Um, it actually breaks the power and the master of sin in our lives. And that is the greatest miracle of all. That is the greatest manifestation of the glory of God, is the power of sin, the master of sin being broken. Is that true? That's greater than healings happening in front of us. It's, it's even greater than the dead being raised. It, is, it gives you and I eternal hope and eternal redemption, an eternal place in heaven, where our name, we, we read the scripture out of Revelations, where our name is actually written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That is the greatest miracle. We've already mentioned, um, and I'll give you the scriptures, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, it talks th about the fact that we are a new creation. These aren't just nice words. This is truth about who you and I are. We are born again. In fact, in John 3.3, 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you have to be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of God. And then in 1 Peter 1.23, it says that we are born again by an incorruptible seed of the word of God. So this is a supernatural thing. It's very powerful. It has the ability to transform our lives. So we are literally born again. Hebrews 13.5 says he will never leave us nor forsake us. Like we always say, you walked in this morning with the anointing of God on the inside of you because he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. When you're lying in bed at night and you're on your own and you're struggling with thoughts and fears and anxieties and, and oppressions and intimidations, guess what? He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's there. In fact, the Bible says, greater is he that is within you. So we need to learn to call out upon that name. So he will never leave us nor forsake us. Romans 12 verse 3 says, he has given us a measure of faith. Even our faith comes from God because Jesus is the author and the perfecter or the developer. He would develop our faith as we go along. Everything comes from him. There's actually nothing that we can do in and of ourselves except believe and receive. It's amazing. We think we have to work something up and hype something up or perform something or work something out, but we don't. We just have to believe and to receive everything that he's done for us. Romans 8, 14 to 16 tells us that we are led by the Spirit. This isn't just for pastors or leaders or what we think would be special people. No, we are led by the Spirit. It says we have the spirit of adoption as sons of God. And of course, that means sons and daughters. It's male and female. 
And the Holy Spirit in us bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So that's what we're learning. That's what we've learned so far. That's what happens in us at salvation. And if you're struggling even with those areas, can I encourage you, go back to those scriptures, renew your mind in those principles, in those truths, because the, that's the truth, not the lie that is trying to tell you otherwise. All right, why else do we need the anointing? Number two, we need it on us for power to demonstrate, and that's for others. So the first one is for us, the second one is for others. And sometimes that's for other believers and sometimes that's for unbelievers. It's to demonstrate who Jesus is. It's to extend the work of Jesus. Greater works shall you do. That's not so much in quality, but in quantity. I don't think we'll ever do the quality that Jesus did, but it's in quantity. There are so many of us now. So the Spirit of God comes on us and the anointing is on us and we'll look at this in the next few weeks so that we can demonstrate to, to the world, to other believers and it gives us an ability for service. It equips us and we've talked already about Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It enables us to demonstrate the message. You know, wait until you receive power. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, there's that upon you anointing. When he comes upon you, then you will receive my power to be my witnesses. So it gives us the ability to demonstrate who he is and enables us for service. So we need the anointing for ministry. The first one is in us and it's for us and it's basically our ticket to heaven if we wanna use crass sort of language like that. But on us is for others and for the world and it helps to get the job done the way that he wants it done. He said, this is how you'll get my church built, by doing this. We witness who he is, we talk about him, and then he gives the power and the ability to be able to do that. You know, sometimes we, we, don't, we struggle with our words, we don't know how to witness for Jesus, but when the Spirit of God comes upon us, he enables us. He gives us everything, everything we could possibly need. When we preach or speak about Jesus to our colleagues, to our families, friends, and, and, and different people in our lives, he confirms the word with signs following. He does that all the time. He'll demonstrate who he is if we will believe. All we have to do is believe. It's not about working up some emotion or working up some sense of faith. Faith is not a feeling or an emotion. It's a stance. It's a belief. It's a, it's a risk. It's a, it's a daring. It's like David when you know little shepherd David stands there in front of Goliath and he says that the that all of Israel that everyone would know that there is a God in Israel that's pretty powerful stuff that everyone would know that there is a God in Israel that's the kind of amazing stance of faith that God wants us to have when we stand on behalf of God and we throw ourselves out there on a limb and go God you better come through uh, but I need you to demonstrate who you are so that they will know, not to put them down to make them feel bad. No, so that they will know that you love them. People are not our enemies. Remember that. People are not our enemies. The, the devil is our enemy. He's the enemy of our souls. Jesus is the lover of our souls. So the power of God comes on us to demonstrate who Jesus is. And number three, we need it for our ultimate calling or, or the commissioning, and that is for the body of Christ. That is all for our time here on earth. The first one gets us to heaven for our eternal redemption, and um, the other two are for the power of God now, and um, also for our calling so that we can begin to be used in the government of God here on earth, in the body. A body, if anyone is medical here, and I know we have several doctors in this place and nurses and medical people, uh, you will know that a body can't function unless there's complete order in the body. And uh, things begin to go awry when something is wrong and the body doesn't function properly. So God has a body. He has the body of Christ, his son, and it's here on earth. And so it has to function in order, has to function correctly. And so that's part of where our calling and our commissioning comes in. And that's God who, who, who assigns that. That's God who, that's Jesus himself who actually designates that and commissions that. So the summary of the, this opening thing of why we need the anointing, he puts the anointing in us to teach us. He puts the anointing or the gift of the Holy Spirit upon us to demonstrate 
that truth about him and he commissions us as his body to be the message. And some of us he anoints and assigns to be a gift. And that's when we begin to talk about the Ascension Gift Ministries or the fivefold ministries. And we're going to talk about that at a later date. And that's something that we can actually really desire for. Yes, it's Jesus who determines because it says that he ascended and he gave gifts in the form of people. But there are other scriptures that also say, you know, you can desire the office of a prof, of a, of a um, sorry, of, of a bishop, that you can desire and long to be able to be used by God in different ways. And so God, all God asks is that we position ourselves and he ultimately chooses. So my, the, the title of my sermon this morning is The Anointing. He wants to teach us, are we listening? He wants to teach us, but are we listening? So if we look very quickly at the last three weeks, what have we learned so far about the anointing? Well, number one, in week one, we learned that God anoints us in order to commission a generation. God anointed kings and priests and prophets of every generation in Israel. They were set apart, they were consecrated with the smearing of anointing oil. It was literally oil taken out and it was smeared on them. It was, that was what it meant to anoint. That's the verb, is to anoint, is to smear with oil. And it was called the anointing oil. And of course, in week one and two, we looked at the principles of what that holy anointing oil was made up of and how that affects us and what that means to us now as you bring it through the cross and you bring it into the time of the New Testament. It was an act of God, a bestowal of divine favor or appointment. In other words, it was to do a job, just like it is for us to do something, to get the job done. You know, Jesus saying, wait until you receive power so that you can then go and do the job and be my witnesses. In the same way, it was a bestowal of divine favor, not manly, worldly, human favor, but divine favor and an appointment in order to get a job done. It was an obvious mark and it produced an evident effect. And you just have to go back and look through the Old Testament and you can see the impacts and the, and the effects that, that the anointing of oil had when it came on them. Like it was, it was instantaneous in some cases. It was amazing. So in the New Testament, the power of God is used in connection with the Holy Spirit also to do a job, like I said. And of course, he anointed uh, Jesus to raise up a generation so that he could commission his body here on earth. That was the beginning of the generational handing over, the generational passing down of the anointing. Like we said, with the anointing oil, it has to be for every generation. Every generation has to respond to this because it demands a response from every generation. And he wants to continue that on us now with that same anointing power. But it's almost like a, a baton that is being passed on. Every generation has to grab hold of the baton and run with it. And as you look down, especially back through church history, you'll see there were ebbs and flows of, of numbers of people that would, that would grab the baton and, 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 and take it on and run on further with that anointing power. Sometimes it was a very few. Sometimes it was just a remnant, the Bible calls it. Sometimes it was whole cities and nations being touched and, and it was transforming, uh, you know, governmental constitutions of nations. Sometimes it, it was just in a few people and it was being held on by the, just a, a mere thread. But there's always the passing down. God will always find someone. He's always looking. He will always find someone. And last week I said, you know, because it de does demand a response, my job is just to present this truth. I can't make revival happen in anyone else's hearts. It's enough for me to hang in there and hold on to the truths of God and to walk in that for myself. Only the Holy Spirit can come in and sweep through our place and sweep through our church and sweep through our city and sweep through our nation. It's not something that someone can fabricate. It intrigues me to hear, I heard recently about, and I won't say where and I won't say who, but I heard and I haven't verified it, but it was interesting anyway to hear that um, there were certain places that have experienced revival before and they were trying to set those meetings up again and bring back the same speakers and do the same thing to kind of create it again. 
Now, that's great. And I know that wherever the word of God is preached, the Holy Spirit is there to demonstrate power. But that's not how revival comes. It doesn't come because we make a decision, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And if we just have that form, that's been the whole problem with the church in the first place. We try to take over man-made structures and, 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 and ways that we see how things should be done. That's what's stuffing it up in the first place. So why don't we just all get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit come in? I don't know what's going to happen today. I want to see the Spirit of God come and slam us all. I really do. Who wants that? Yeah, we all want the slamming and the smashing of God. But you know what? It's our hunger that pulls that in, that draws that in. All I can do is feed, feed hunger, create hunger, hopefully, create desire, smash some mindsets in myself and you included. Do you know often I go home after preaching on a Sunday and I reflect on the things that have come out of my mouth that I did not plan to say. And it always amazes me because those things come back to me and minister to me. And I know then that that's the Holy Spirit. That was not my own thinking. And they convict me. Then I have to step up to the plate and become the message. I can't just be the preacher and the bringer and, and be the messenger. I have to live out that message if I'm expecting anyone else to, to grab hold of it and run with it. So this is ministering to all of us. So let's see where God takes us on this. But last week I said, you know, the young generation, the children are so far from the revelation of God. Can anyone else kind of see that? I think we don't even need a show of hands. We just have to look across our schools, talking to Bernadette, who's basically a teacher of teachers, um, and goes, gets used to go to many different schools as a as a teacher to come in and even help with problem children and problem schools and problem classes. She said, it is a, an epidemic of anxiety and, and stuff that is within children now. And schools don't know what to do anymore. Kids are addicted to their iPads and to their screens and, and it's just setting them up for loneliness. It's setting them up for, we, we don't know what it's setting them up for. So the question is, who will they look to to see the revelation of God? Who are they going to look to? Are they going to look to their iPads? Are they going to find it on YouTube? You know, no, it's in family. It's in the context of a community. Where are they going to see the kindness of God? Where are they going to walk in and feel the tangible presence of God and something touch their hearts and, and melt them and, and help them to understand that they are loved. Who's going to do that? Who's going to be that community in the next 20 years? Where's that going to come from? It has to be the church. It has to be the church. You know, where are they going to see it if, if this next generation doesn't respond to the call of God? So I'm really believing for a move of the Spirit amongst the children. I'm believing that God can do that. You know, another thing we talked about in this whole thing was that people can recognize when the anointing is growing on someone's life. In week one, I said that every generation must be able to say, they must be able to say, I know who God is. I journey with God. I know what it looks like to have his hand touch my life. In other words, let me show you who he is. I think that's a real key. Can we do that? Can we say, I know who God is. Let me show you who God is. Let me, let me be Jesus to you. Let me be the kindness and the love of God. You want to take, you know, one coat from me? Let me give you two. You want to walk one, you demand that I walk one mile with you? Let me walk two. You, you want to come and slap me on that cheek? Let me give you the other cheek to slap. How are we going to demonstrate? Let me show you what it looks like to have the hand of God transforming me. Let me show you what it looks like to be someone who forgives and lets go and repents and is kind and is loving and is merciful, who has empathy, who is compassionate. Let me demonstrate who Jesus is. The world is starving. It is starved for that. Just even a demonstration of love. I think I've told you before, you know, I'm just thinking of all these things even in my neighborhood where I live. 
people say all sorts of things about Brahma and I without really fully understanding who we are. But we stand out. They can kind of see it. And there's one beautiful neighbour who saw us from afar walking down the street. Now she got closer and she goes, oh, I should have known it was you two. You're the only couple around here that walks around everywhere holding hands. And, um, you know, that speaks something. In a, in a generation and in a society now where there's a lot of contention, where there's a lot of separation and divorces, we have a lot of divorced and remarried couples where we, around where we live, just everywhere, where there's all that kind of thing. You know, love and nurturing of a relationship and kindness to one another stands out. So just on a very basic level, that is the heart of Jesus. That is the goodness of God. If we can't display that, forget healings and raising from the dead. I'm not really interested because we're all going to die anyway, to be honest. Like seriously, I'll believe, I'll believe with you, and I have, I've believed for things like that before, and I will again, but you know what, even that sometimes doesn't convince anyone. We saw a healing right in front of our eyes, didn't we, Joel? And that was because Joel, in his unbelief, asked God for it. You might have heard me tell that story before. It's hilarious. But he, in DMS, that was one of his three things, God, I want to see a healing, and that night, the very first night, we actually did. I got it on video. It was amazing. And, um, and yet, does that really convince people? Not really. I've watched it. It convinces me that he's real. But that's not what transforms a broken heart. That's not what excavates and, and delivers someone from demonic stuff that is pressing on their soul all the time. That's not the stuff that that gets us to heaven, it demonstrates who Jesus is, but rather than obsessively pursuing that, I would rather obsessively pursue him and his heart and his presence. Every generation must be able to say, let me show you who he is. Let me show you who he is. It should be clear who we belong to. It should be so clear with the words of our mouths. You know, the Bible says out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouths will speak. When, we're, when push comes to shove, when the pressure is on, what comes out of our mouths? Is it the kindness of God? Is it the mercy of God? Is it the compassion of God? Is it, is it humility? Is it brokenness? Is it putting you first before me? What is it that's coming up out of us? It should be clear who we belong to. You know, I've got many examples that I was going to tell you, but I'm not going to tell you them today, of prophetic words that I've received, that Brahm has received, from people who didn't know us from a bar of sight. They'd never met us before, never seen us before, but the words were amazing because supernaturally it was clear who we belonged to. But I'm not going to speak about them today because I feel the Holy Spirit's nudging me in a slightly different way. And I feel like it should be clear who we belong to from the very nature of who we are. Everyone should be able to see. I'm not saying we have to have perfect marriages. I'm not saying we have to have perfect homes. We actually never will. I'm not saying we have to be perfect people. We never can be. Only Jesus is perfect, but our responses will show who we belong to. Our hearts that just ooze with the love of God, that just want to pour out compassion, that just feel a love for people and an empathy for people that at times feels overwhelming. That is demonstrating who Jesus is. That flows from within. That flows from who he is on the inside. Why? Because we've also learned he awakens us to that kind of love. He awakens us to his presence amongst us. He walks into our lives and it is obvious. It is so obvious. We begin to have love for our enemies. We begin to love those who have hurt us. 
We begin to love those who have maligned us. We begin to feel a deep love for those who have persecuted us. There's nowhere we can go in this world to escape people thinking badly from us. There's no cave we can hide in. There's no country we can run to. There's no safe haven we can isolate ourselves into to protect ourselves from the hurt from other people. The only protection we can have is to turn it back, to flip it, and to love those who hurt us. That's the way to conquer. That's the way to conquer. It's with the love of God. He awakens us to this phenomenal love, to this outrageous kind of love. He awakens us to a force of compassion that overwhelms us. Because of the anointing on the inside, we are inhabited by the very truth of who he really is and who he is in us. And because of this love, we love him. 1 Peter 1.8 Even though I've never seen him, I love him because I'm consumed with him. Compassion is a person. Love is a person. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. He inhabits us. He overwhelms us. He consumes us. He takes over our thinking. He takes over our hearts. That's what happens when his anointing comes in. He plants and he uproots things and he leaves a trail. He truly visits us because when he visits us, you can see where he's been. Other people can see where he's been. People begin to say, wow, something's happened to you. Something's changed in you. There's something about you that is just different. You're so loving. You're so kind. You're so peaceful. Something transforms on the inside of us because we've allowed him to come in and plant something new and uproot things that needed to go. But only he can do it. Only he can do it. And we learned that things shift and shake when revival hit our personal lives. And forgiveness is one of the key transformations when we drink the living water that only he can place within us. That's when deliverances happen. You know, I had the deliverance in my life not because I was looking for deliverance. It wasn't like I was going, God, 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 I need something to get out of me. Where will I go to get this thing out of me? Just pull it out, God. Just where, Which meeting can I go to? Which conference can I go to? To be honest, I didn't even know I needed deliverance. I was wildly, passionately in love with Jesus. I'd only been saved about a year and a half, two years, I think. And um, if you've heard the story, I was leading worship with Brahm while some incredible minister, pastor, or preacher was preaching and ministering and people were being touched by the Spirit of God. And it was at that moment that I went forward because I felt strange in the worship, in that place of me seeking God and... God set me free. See, it's not about, about trying to get something out. It's about who are we really letting live large on the inside because that's the key. And when we, he won't anoint flesh in our lives when we have a root of bitterness. He won't anoint that, but he will anoint humble hearts and hungry hearts. It's not so much that we go visiting and searching into our past as much as we need him to visit and transform our present responses because they indicate our past. Wow. And when he shines light on whom we should forgive or what we should repent of, then we begin to find closure with our past and something is uprooted. And that's when the trail of inner freedom is left in our lives. Okay, empathy, compassion, restoration between generations will occur in the last days. You know, we all make mistakes as parents, but here's, the, here's what I'm banking on. Here's what I'm banking on. You know, when, when, when we were raising our kids, we thought we just did the most incredible job. We just thought we were amazing. We were giving everything. We were, we were praying over them. We were worshipping. But pretty much once a week, I would get on my knees in their bedrooms as the kids were sleeping and this fear of God would come on me 
because we were barely saved. Like I had only got saved three years before I had my first child. So we were not mature Christians, we were learning. And we made so many mistakes. And I'll get on my knees and I would say, Jesus, you know, I know we're trying to do our best. We think we're doing a good job, but I'm sure there are areas that we're messing up in. Can you please make sure you just protect our kids from our mistakes? But you know what? There's an anointing coming in the last days that we read about last week in in Malachi. It says that the Spirit of God's going to come and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. You know, that's a really beautiful promise right there that he's coming to restore. And then I watch, you know, so many generations, they get hurt by their parents and then they, they, they rise up and they become parents and you can see and you watch. I watch it everywhere I go and they're like, well, I'm gonna do it differently, just like I said. I'm gonna do it differently. And then give it 10, 15, 20 years time. You know, there will always be mistakes that we make. But God wants to restore, and that's what his anointing does. So there's a call to come back to that place for everyone, to that place of our first love, to come back to that place of just letting him love us. And, you know, I read the scripture, 2 Chronicles 16.9, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support or show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is completely his. Whose heart is his. Not how strong our faith looks, not how big our ministry is, not how fabulous our family looks from the outside. No, 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 no. He just wants to know, does your heart, does my heart really belong to him? Is it completely his? That's what he's looking for. He anoints hungry, pure, captivated hearts. And he's ready to, to bestow that same divine favor, that same appointment to a special place or function in the purpose of God. You know, in the, in the dictionary, the anointing, it says it was to smear or rub with oil, to apply oil to, to spread oil over. It was to ceremonially confirm divine or holy office upon by smearing or rubbing with oil. And of course, we read the scripture about when Samuel anointed David as king. It says, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Now, in the New Testament, the amazing thing is that the Greek word is charisma. You've heard the word charisma um, or charismatic. That's where it comes from. But that also means a smearing. That also means a special endowment. It also means an anointing or an unction of the spirit of God. It's the same exact meaning or heart behind the Old Testament word, which is to rub with oil, to anoint, to consecrate or set apart, or to smear. So it's exactly the same thing. And so when we are anointed, when we get saved, God comes in and he does something. The Bible says that he seals us with his Holy Spirit. And uh, in fact, let me give you those scriptures. It says in 2 Corinthians 1.21, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. So he seals us. He, he's, we are anointed. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with a Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. And Ephesians 4.30 says that, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So that, this is what happens when you and I get saved. There is a, there's literally a seal, an invisible mark that comes upon our lives. You've heard me say this before. It's like a signet ring going into hot wax. There's something left on the inside of us. When heaven and hell looks at you and I, it sees that mark. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by him. Nothing can come against us. 
That's what it means, that greater is he that is within us. There's a divine imprint. There's divine ownership upon our lives. There's a mark on our spirits. There's a separating off. It's a special setting apart for an office or a function. Can you see that? This, this endowment, this seal, this, the Holy Spirit, the anointing, this unction comes on and it says you are now separated for a special appointment to a function in me. This is what's happened to you and I. If we are truly born again, this is exactly what's happened. See, this is why, uh, this is why, and I'm, I'm going to say this scripture purely, mainly because Joel referred to it in, in, um, in communion. I wasn't actually going to go there today, but I will mention it. In James 5, 14 and 15, it says, Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Wow, these are pretty heavy words. You notice it's not saying lay hands on the sick um, and they will recover. No, this is a special thing for believers. I believe signs that follow those who believe is in the Great Commissioning, is lay hands on the sick out there in the world and they will get better as a demonstration of who Jesus is. But in the body, as anointed, separated to God believers, we are already consecrated. So get a load of this. When we anoint with oil, is there power in the actual oil? Is there? This is not a trick question. No. But he's working with the symbol of his being. He says anoint with oil. So what you're really doing is you're separating off of, you're separating off of the sickness from the patient to Christ. You're separating that sickness from the patient and you're saying this person is separated to Christ. That sickness is not allowed to be on there anymore. So you're anointing and you're basically declaring this is a consecrated vessel. Now you get your hands off this consecrated vessel. They belong to Jesus. And it's like a separating off. And that's why there's calling on the elders of the church. Now, I remember a friend of mine who used to be in our church. Her husband was in our board, and they ended up moving to England. But they love us. They love our church. And uh, whenever they're here in Australia, they always come and visit. And um, she and her husband had been married 10 years, could not get pregnant. And so she came up to me and she said, Di, I'm standing on this scripture. And she read the scripture to me. She says, here's the oil. I'm calling on the elders of the church. I want you to pray and I want you to separate this thing off of me and declare that I'm going to be whatever, because she had endometriosis and couldn't get pregnant. So I said, all right. Now, you've got to understand this faith on both sides. She's putting her faith in the word of God. She's definitely not putting her faith in me. She's putting her faith on the word of God. She's drawn a line in the sand and said, this is what I believe. Now, I'm going to obey it. Now it's up to you. And then it's my experience is that I now have to offer a prayer in faith. So she's released her faith. Now I've got to pray in faith. Now, if I stand there in unbelief going, oh, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. It's not going to work. Well, we might as well tip all the oil out right there and go home. But no, I was so excited. I remember we stood right over there in that corner. If anyone needs to get pregnant, meet me in that corner after the service. <laughs> Seems to be where it all happens, right? Anyway, so I laid hands on, on her and her husband and I said, in the name of Jesus, I separate off of you this sickness. You are a consecrated vessel. And, I, and as I'm declaring it with oil, I'm basically with physically demonstrating what has happened spiritually. Within six weeks, she was pregnant. Now, that's not the end of the story. She comes back two years later. Says, all right, it's happened again. The endometriosis is growing again. I need another, another miracle. Here's the oil, Diane. And she quotes the scripture to me again. This is a gutsy woman of faith. So we stood in the same corner just in case. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. That's very superstitious. No, I can't even remember where we stood the second time. However, we did exactly the same thing and I prayed the prayer of faith because it's not something I had to feel, it's not something I had to work up, it's not an emotion, it's not, you know, closing my eyes and, and squishing my face. It's like, no, I just pray the prayer of faith and the declaration, you have been declared holy. I'm separating this sickness off you. It has no power on you. It doesn't belong on this consecrated, set-apart vessel. 
Remember my, my, my metaphor of a, of a mug? This mug is separated from me. Only I can use this mug. Well, that's what we're like. I'm not saying we're a bunch of mugs. I'm saying... <laughs> only Aussies will get that if anyone's listening from America on the podcast. Um, <laughs> kind of lost my train of thought now. Only God can inhabit us. Those things have to be separated off us. See, this is the stance that we take. This is the faith in the word of God. So, so okay, so back to the story. Brahm's telling me, go back to the story. So I prayed over her within 10 weeks, pregnant again. It was amazing. And uh, it was really, really, really beautiful because both times I prayed for her, uh, even just before she gave birth, and they didn't know what they were having. And and the first time I, I knew it was going to be a boy, I think that was right. And then the second time, I definitely remember the second time, as I began to pray, they didn't know what they were having. And I see, I see a little girl with long hair, and it's kind of brown, but it's got an auburn tint to it, like a red tint to it, and it's, it's wavy. And neither of them had hair that color or that like at all. And um, I still get photos of her till today. She's 12 or 13 years old now with that exact hair that I saw in the vision. And, um, you know, I just think that God loves to show us, yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm walking with you. I'm speaking to you. I'm leading you. And it was for them, you know. And um, this is how the body needs to work, just encouraging one another, standing with one another, you know, building one another. But let's do it purely on the Word of God. We are sealed. There's someone living on the inside of us, guys. There is someone living on the inside of us. So when he is in us, what does he do? He teaches us. He teaches us. But are we listening? That's the real question. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 10 says this. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So let's begin to look at how he reveals things to us, and we certainly won't finish today. We'll keep going next week with this. But he will actually teach us. And when I say he, I say that because the anointing is inseparable from him, the person of the Holy Spirit. He is a personality. John 14, 26 says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. This is a he. He's saying he, I. Remember I started off the series and I quoted a verse that said, the anointing will teach you? Well, this is him. It's him on the inside. John 15, 26 says this, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. He will talk about me to you. In other words, when the Spirit of truth, not a lie, but the right Spirit, the truthful Spirit, when he's on the inside of you, when that anointing is on the inside, you're just going to fall so in love with Jesus. You're going to be consumed with Jesus. You're going to love someone you've never met before. Okay? 1 Peter 1.8. I'll keep referring that back to that. How do we do that? Because he's on the inside. He's glorifying Jesus. He glorifies him. John 16.13. But when he, the spirit of truth, once again, it's a personality. It's a him. When he comes, he will guide you into all truth. So he teaches us, he leads us into truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. <clears throat> Pardon me. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. He will glorify me. That's why we can be gripped in our hearts with love for God in worship. That's why my heart feels like it's going to explode out of my chest sometimes with love for Jesus. Why? Because the Spirit of God, I'm worshipping in spirit. And I'm worshipping in truth. And I'm opening myself up and I'm not looking for something I can get out of God in that moment. No, it's all about Him. I'm just consumed with the Spirit glorifying. Glorifying Jesus. Wow. That's what worship is. It's this simple. 
It's this simple. For he will take of mine and he will disclose it to you. In other words, he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to us. All things that belong to the Father or that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. You see, the Holy Spirit never talks about himself. He doesn't obsess about himself. He only glorifies Jesus. And he speaks to us. He reminds us of scriptures and truth. You know, often in worship, I'll be standing here and you're thinking, why is Di going off in worship? Well, it's because, thank you, Brad. It's because so many times in worship, he's speaking to me, thank you, scriptures. He's speaking to me about the truth from his word and it's coming up because as you're worshipping in spirit and in truth, well, he's the spirit of truth, he's reminding me about what Jesus said. So I feel like there's this ever-flowing river in me and I can barely contain myself. This is what it's like. Now, you might not be as extravagant. You might just be like this. Hey, no one's judging anyone. Please don't judge me. I just get kind of excited, right? But... It's that flow of truth on the inside. You know, you could be like Brahm, be so chilled and so, so just quiet, but I know that he's exploding on the inside. It's got nothing to do with personality. It's got to do with who we're in love with on the inside. So the Holy Spirit is our comforter. He is our counselor. He is our helper. He is our intercessor. He is our advocate. He is our strengthener. And he is our standby. And so we need to listen to him because he teaches us. 1 John 2.20 says this, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. That's the scripture I was referring to before. You have an anointing, that's the anointing within you from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. And you go further down into verses 26 and 27, and it says, These things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides or remains in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, now, we're not talking about not needing to go to church. All of us need to sit under the anointing of the word of God. This is talking about something different. As his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, in other words, that anointing is real, it's not a counterfeit, and just as it has taught you, you abide or remain in him. Now these are powerful principles to realize we've got an anointing on the inside. But let's read those scriptures in context. Let's go back to verse 18. Children, it is the last hour And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. In other words, they were part of our community and they left. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. We're not just talking about leaving a church. We're talking about leaving the truth living God. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are all, that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing, and this is where it kicks in, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth, Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? That is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you. Let it, allow it, give it permission. Let the anointing of truth find its home in our hearts. Let the seed settle and let it find good ground. Let the seed go down and go deep into the soil of our hearts. Let, let the seed of the truth of the word of God find a home in our hearts. Don't let it be uprooted. Don't let stones and rocks get in the way. Don't let thorns and thistles get in the way. Don't let the cares of this world, don't let this, the enemy come and, and steal it from our hearts. Let it go down deep into our hearts. 
Let it abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Now, in in that context, we read again, verses 26 and 27, these things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you have received from him remains in you. And you have no, uh, no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, abide or remain in him. This is really pertinent to this season that we're living in. I mean, I'm sure every generation has said that. Um, but I suppose it feels like that now because we're the ones alive. We're the ones that are watching what's going on around us. Just this week, I read of yet another American megachurch pastor now say he is no longer a Christian. Um, And people say, you know, there's all this talk about deconstructing church. That's fine. Deconstruct away. Challenge everything. Challenge the culture of everything. Challenge the methodology of everything. But only if it measures up to the truth. Not as it lines up with the latest fads or societal sentiments. We can challenge stuff, that's great. I'm always challenging stuff because we're looking for the ideal. We're looking back to the Word of God. We're holding the Word of God and the biblical pattern and the pattern of building the church. We're holding that high in our hearts and we're saying, God, is this what you want, what we're seeing and experiencing? But when people say they deconstruct church to the point that they then leave God, see, when you really know Jesus, who is the rock and the foundation, and your heart is completely his, like we read in Chronicles before, there's actually nothing to, re- to deconstruct. There is nothing to deconstruct. He is it. He's the foundation. He's the rock that we stand on. Deconstruct everything else, but don't deconstruct him. He's the truth. He's the rock. So the real question then is, this is the question that I have to ask. I'm sorry, I'm not judging people's motives, but I have to ask, did these people ever really know Jesus? Why? For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. Wake up. We need to wake up. The Bible says there are tears sown amongst the wheat. The Bible warns us about wolves in sheep's clothing. There are people that put on the religiosity of the day, they put on the performance, but they never really knew him. As a pastor, this has probably been the greatest learning curve for me, is to realize that this actually is the case. It's terrifying and it's devastating at the same time. Tears, wolves, they look like sheep. They're amongst us. And yet the Apostle Paul in that scripture that we just read is basically saying they they were like family. They were part of our community. They were with us. And yet they've never encountered him. They've never encountered him. You see, the anointing on the body of Christ separates. It makes a distinction. We can't hide in the anointing. It reminds me of a scripture, and I kind of want to end here, and I want us to pray, because I just feel the soberness of God. I so wanted to come in with a big faith, yeah, 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 message, but I can't kind of shift my heart and my mind from this. Timothy or Paul is telling us here that These people have an appearance of that godliness. They look like they love God. They look like they're set apart. They look like sheep. But they deny, which is basically to renounce, to disavow, to contradict, to refuse, to abandon. I'm not a Christian anymore. To spurn. I'm deconstructing everything. To abdicate, to relinquish, to repudiate, to turn one's back on, to wash one's hands off. That's what it means to deny 
Deny the power. And that word power in the Strong's is all from the Strong's concordance, which gives us the correct background uh, information on these Greek words, the original Greek words. It's a force. It's denying the force or the miraculous power. It says it's a strength and it's violent. It's a violence. The Word of God has power to be violent in our hearts. It has power to come in and, and exhibit a mighty, wonderful work in the very core of our beings. It is able to shift and shake things. It is able to leave a trail. It will plant and it will uproot. It will cause a love for someone you've never met. But if we put on a fake form of godliness, of piety, of holiness, I'm set apart. I speak with the lingua. I raise my hands. I don't raise my hands. I sing. I can do all this stuff. Jesus said, you can cast out demons in my name. You can prophesy in my name. But depart from me, for you never knew me. And that word knew is intimacy. It's the same word that was used when Adam knew Eve. It's to do with intercourse, that, that intimacy. That's what it meant when Adam knew Eve. But with us, it's an intimacy of heart. It's loving someone we've never met. That's what it is. And here we have Paul warning Timothy that this is what's going to happen. And, you know, how can I just keep preaching a happy, clappy, oh, we're all anointed, let's all have demons come out, and let's all just, you know, get touched by the Spirit and laugh and cry. No, 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 we've got pastors of mega churches not just leaving and walking away, they're walking away from God. So who were they ever, who was flowing out of them in the first place? What was flowing out of them in the first place? Deconstruct the way. Go for it, younger generation. Deconstruct our blue floors and what it means. Deconstruct our lights and whatever. Deconstruct me or whatever. Deconstruct the way. But have the love of Jesus burning in your heart. Have the rock and the foundation because he is immovable. That is, he is the cornerstone. Behold, I lay in Zion cornerstone, a firm foundation, strong foundation. That's him. That is him. That is him. That is him. It's crazy. 2 Timothy 3 verse 7 then goes on to say this. They're always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth because truth is a person. It's not a Bible degree. It's not a master's and a PhD. It's not memorizing the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's a person. Jesus even said, you search the scriptures for me. Looking for, you search the scriptures for truth, but you refuse to come to me because I'm the person of the truth. He said that to the Pharisees and the religious people of the day. So always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jombras opposed Moses, so these men always oppose the truth. You notice that truth is equated there with leadership, Moses. The truth that was coming out of Moses as the leader of the people, they were opposing him because he carried and led the truth. It's tough work being a spiritual leader. You feel the pushback against you all the time from every angle. Not just from people, I'm talking spiritually. These men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not very, get very far for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Just like the anointing leaves a trail, so deception leaves a trail. But we want the anointing of God. We want the power of God. This is how I want us to end today. I want us to pray. I want us, I want us to really come against unbelief. I want us to shut down the voice of unbelief. I want us to, if any of us just need to say, God, I want to give my heart to be completely yours. Maybe you've sat in church for years and you know deep down you've never really given your heart. It's not completely his. Well, this is the moment. And it's not a transaction of, I give this to you, now you give me something back. No, it's, it's, it's unconditional. We just surrender who we are. Um, I want us to pray. I want, I'd like the worship team to come on up, and let's just spend a moment in prayer. Um, I don't really want to do an altar call. If you want to come up to the front to be prayed for, that's fine.
but I know that God can do it where we are. And as, as we be, let's just in worship, let's do our own individual dealings with God. And then I'm going to get us to pray in pairs. And I want us to pray that we will begin to ask God to speak to us specifically this week. If the anointing is in us, then God will speak to us. I want us to pray for dreams. He speaks to us in dreams. Um, Carvin had an amazing dream two nights ago. I actually had a dream this morning. And you know, like God, and just yesterday, because I was meditating on all this, I said, God, I need you to speak to me. I know the anointing's within me. You have to speak to me right now. And I had a dream this morning, and I was awake by five o'clock. And so, you know, that's the anointing within. Let's pray for the children in our lives and in our community. And let's pray for the spirit of truth to invade people's hearts. Let's stand. Come on, let's stand. First of all, if you feel in any way like somehow that was speaking to you this morning that there is unbelief in you, I'm not going to get you to come up the front or anything like that. I mean, you can if you want to. But what's more important is that there's a letting go right now. And there's a state in God, Jesus, I want you. I don't want to just put on a form. I don't want to look religious. I don't want to say all the right words. I actually want to walk with you. Let's just, as we, as we worship, I want you just to do that with the Lord. And then we're going to begin to pray and ask God to begin to speak to us through that anointing that is on the inside of us. All right, let's, let's what's all we got, guys? Yeah.